All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Can you see it? Did you The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Adam's You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go. Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation presented by those great folks over there at Zephyr Epic. Be sure to use our promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That'll get you $5 off your order and free shipping Canada-wide from Rogers Arena to Rogers Place, from Vancouver to Edmonton, the same way that the Vancouver Canucks are traveling to face off against the Edmonton Oilers after an ass-kicking of an 8-1 game yesterday at Rogers Arena. My name's Chris Faber. Nobody else joining me in here. I got my producer, Aaron Bordado, who we, we do have to bring in at some point. Noted oily boy, uh, Aaron Bordado, on the show. We're coming off of the Vancouver Canucks with an 8-1 victory to open the season. Four goals from Brock Besser. Lots to get into. Let's quickly rip a pack here because we got a lot to get into on the show today. We are going to be joined by Jeremy Calton, head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. They are off in Laval to open up the AHL season. And Jeff Patterson from Rinkwide going to join us here in just a matter of moments. Let's keep the good vibes going in the chat all day long as well with hopefully in this pack. Anything fun, nothing too much. We do have a fun little rookie card actually. 
Not too bad. Shane Wright, the rookie card. I believe that's Shane Wright's first card with the Seattle Kraken. We'll see how he does this season. Um, All right, let's dive into it. We have so much to talk about. The Vancouver Canucks coming off of an 8-1 victory. They just lit it up at Rogers Arena last night. So much fun. Anybody who is in attendance knows how much fun that game was. Anybody watching on TV, you could probably feel the emotion coming through the television. Brock Besser is obviously the big story of the day. He ends up putting up four goals in this game. Just an excellent performance for Brock. We wanted to see 30 goals for so long. Nobody wanted to ask him the question after the game, the post-game media availability. But you could see just... The way that the players were speaking about Brock Besser, him getting four goals to start the season, it could not have gone much better for him. Ended up having eight shots on net throughout the game as well. And man, like you just you show up for this game or you sit down at home, you're watching this game, you're hoping that the Vancouver Canucks can, you know, just kind of sit there with the Oilers and make it an entertaining game. We know the Oilers have a team that looks like they're going to be playoff bound this season. The best power play in the NHL, maybe the best power play of all time with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And yes, they got one power play goal, but that was all that they got in the 60 minutes of play. The Vancouver Canucks with an 8-1 win. I do want to bring in Aaron before we get to Jeff Patterson, who is on the line. So we'll get to j in just a minute. Aaron, you guys had your big launch of the pregame show. You guys are out there at Greta over in Edmonton having a great time together. But, man, what happened to your Oilers yesterday against the Vancouver Canucks putting up an eight spot? I can't remember the last time the Canucks put up an eight spot like that on a team. I can't remember the last time we lost eight to one. And there was a decade of darkness in there, let alone in a season opener. You really couldn't have uh, drew up or imagined a worse start than uh, what did happen yesterday. We were live at Greta. We did do my first pregame with Boardsy show. It was great. Went for an hour long. Really hyped up the game. And let me tell you, the vibes were high pretty much until right about when the puck was dropped. And that was quickly, I guess not quickly short-lived, but it felt like it happened so fast. It snowballed so fast. And uh, I knew I was going to have to, I knew I was going to have to show my face on here today. Yeah, I wasn't looking forward to that. We had to bring you up and, and just quickly because it was it was strange. Like the game started, and I heard like a very loud "Go Oilers, Go" chant throughout the arena at Rogers Arena. There was a lot of orange jerseys in there, but the Vancouver Canucks end up striking with Connor Garland to start, and then three straight goals from Brock Besser. I'm curious from an outside perspective looking in. We've seen Brock Besser do this in his rookie season. We haven't really seen him do it in the years after that. What did you think of Brock Besser and his ability to score goals last night? Well, I thought he was absolutely on fire. I don't know if it's just a Jack Campbell thing because Stuart Skinner also got lit up when he went in there. I feel like the Oilers just, they were, as Jay Woodcroft said it after, they were still in preseason mode. But let me tell you, the Canucks surprised me. Brock Besser surprised me. I did not have four goals for BB on my bingo card. I can tell you that. I also don't think I hit a single bet last night. So that's, so that's absolutely lovely. But, no, the team was buzzing. And uh, you guys, hey, it was good. Rick Tockett squad, 1-0. I didn't like it. Let me tell you that. Yeah. I didn't like it. And you guys came at me on Twitter, actually. And, of course, you did. I was sitting there just in shambles. Yeah, I mean, you called it. I was in shambles sitting there. I had to do the postgame show. And I was like, man, I don't even want to talk about this. We started <laughs> the postgame show with like three or four minutes left in the game. And as we were getting ready to go live, we were saying, well, you can't get worse than this. And then in that process, the Canucks scored another goal to make it 8-1. And I was like, wow, it did get worse. Holy cow. Yeah, and that tweet had to come from a text that you sent to Quads and I last night. And I was just thinking, man, Aaron's must be having a tough time. He launches the pregame show. He's doing the postgame show. All that stuff you had to do over there at Oilers Nation. But I know you guys had a lot of viewers, and I'm sure that you guys drew a few in uh, today with Oilers Nation every day. Aaron, appreciate you uh, sticking up for your your pride, I guess. <laughs> Trying to stick up for yeah. your Oily boys a little bit. I don't have much left right now, but uh, I'll see you Saturday. I'll see you Saturday, and it's going to be a revenge game for the Oilers and my Betway account. So, yeah, you betcha. You I, With that, I'm out. <laughs> I'm I'm a little worried actually because you guys had the Greta the the Greta party. You guys had it last night in Edmonton. We're doing ours on Saturday. Uh, I'm really hoping that the tables don't turn as much as they did uh, for your guys' home opener for us on Saturday. So be sure to come down to Greta, folks. Get your tickets. They're still available. Uh, Ten dollars will awesome. get you in. Uh, we got $30 in arcade play as well available, so a lot of great stuff on Saturday down at Greta YVR. Very excited to get to the bar, the arcade, the $2 hot dogs, all the good stuff. 
And speaking of good stuff, we are now joined by Rinkwide Zone, Jeff Patterson, who is down in the arena there with me. Jeff, 8-1 victory for the Vancouver Canucks to open up the season. All this build-up and trade requests and everything that we've had throughout preseason, a 10-0 loss at one point, and the Vancouver Canucks come and explode for an 8-1 victory over not just like a, the Coyotes in town or you know a weak team that comes in here. The Edmonton Oilers, a rival team, Brock Besser puts up the four goals. Is that the biggest takeaway from you in the 8-1 victory, or was there something else that stuck out about this Canucks team last night? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Faber. In the moment, like everybody, I think we all got drunk on Brock Besser and his four goals, and good for him. I mean, when you think, imagine if it had happened last year on opening night, uh, coming off the, the passing of his father. Uh, it would have been an incredible story. It was, as it turned out. And, um, you know, he's talked about that, being at peace and just trying to get back to be the player that he can be. And, I uh, can't ask for a whole lot more, obviously, than four goals on opening night. So he's not going to get bounces off his shin pads like that all the time. But, yeah, I mean, in the building last night, four goals for him, eight for the Canucks. Incredible stuff. But as you point out, you know, in the light of day, like, it's the Oilers. It's McDavid. It's Dreisaitl. It's the best power play hockey has seen last year. And for the Canucks to hold that group to one goal and one goal on the power play, so nothing at evens, the, the work that, Miller and Besser and PDG did against that McDavid line made them defend way more than they're used to way more than they like and on those occasions when McDavid had the puck I thought the Canucks did a terrific job in the neutral zone cutting off lanes not allowing him to build up speed uh Canucks sticks were so active uh defensively and I said this I mean the last time I was on with you like it just again it's one game the last time I was on with you it was preseason but it looks and feels different on the penalty kill for the Vancouver Canucks. And I know they gave up one. Look, the Oilers are going to score power play goals. That's what they do. So, yeah, they got one. But I think the Canucks can celebrate the fact that's all they got. And I don't know about you, but I really thought that the minute and 57 seconds on the penalty kill to start the second period, 2 nothing hockey game, fresh ice, Oilers pissed off. I'm sure that they're down two, but there's a ton of game left. They got this power play. If they score there, 2-1, all of a sudden, nervous energy from Canuck fans, those Oiler fans that you mentioned, and damn, they made some noise last night. They, that <laughs> caught me off guard, that chant right off the, off the bat. Uh, but I guess tickets are available, and yeah, whoever wants in can get in these days. That wasn't the case, you know, in the Canucks run to 2011. Uh, opposing fans just couldn't get their hands on tickets, but they can now. So, uh, yeah, Oiler Nation was what represented. They didn't enjoy what they saw. But I just thought that penalty kill in that moment, uh, was so big for the Canucks to get out of that power play, still up 2 nothing, and then Besser scores moments later, makes it 3 nothing, and then he gets to the next one to make it 4, and at that point, the goalie change, and they're off and running. So uh, I'm always about moments within games, and again, eight goals, you can't look past that, but I just thought that penalty kill there, given the storylines coming in, and the way that those two teams operate on special teams, or at least did last year, thought that was the game within the game for me last night. One of the guys that was really good on special teams, and, and I thought good throughout the game, kind of you know, embodied what we are kind of expecting here from a Rick Tockett team. I thought Pew Suter was really good throughout the game. He ends up winning 10 of 13 face-offs as well, kind of the only guy that was actually winning face-offs for the Vancouver Canucks last night. But not just in the dot, it felt like in the neutral zone, around the blue line, he was disruptive on plays like you mentioned just a second ago of Connor McDavid getting some speed and coming down on you, like, Hugh Suter, I thought, made a very good impression for Vancouver Canucks fans that maybe didn't see anything in the preseason and just showed up to game one today, or yesterday, and they were able to see what this guy's able to bring to the lineup. You know, this guy, I know it's one game, but I've seen enough in preseason to think, okay, there's something here with Pew Suter that this team hasn't had over the couple of years. What was your takeaways from uh, the newest Vancouver, one of the newer Vancouver Canucks this season? Yeah, a couple of things. One is, I thought he was probably the best Canucks skater in Abbotsford last week, and mm -hmm. they dressed a hybrid AHL NHL lineup and so did Seattle so stands to reason he was one of the few NHLers uh, regulars in the lineup but I thought he was really good that night and again we got so caught up in little things uh, in this market but sometimes the little things are big things and you know it's funny because Pia Suter and Anthony Beauvillier were the two forwards that didn't register a point last night so you know here we are Besser has four uh, four goals Miller and Petey they've got four points Hughes has three and we're talking about Pia Suter one of the two forwards that didn't have a point but I think you're spot on here. And I went back and I looked at it uh, today. Now, Sam Lafferty and PDG did more of the heavy lifting on the penalty kill in terms of ice time. And by that, I assume 
I haven't gone back and looked at all the shift charts and numbers, but I'm assuming that they saw more of McDavid and Drysaddle and that Pia Suter probably had the benefit of going up against the second unit, but this is still the NHL. The other second unit's got some pretty good players. In a minute and 18 seconds of penalty killing time last night for Pia Suter, the Oilers had one shot attempt and no shots on goal. Like you can't ask for a whole lot more uh, when a guy is out there. And again, it was an active stick. Uh, Canucks did a magical job, I thought, of taking away the middle of the ice, which last year was the death of them on the penalty kill. And so I do think things have changed here. And, you know, you can ask the question, like, why did it take so long? And why couldn't somebody have figured that out <laughs> last year? Or why couldn't the personnel just take away that Royal Road? But they couldn't. And teams absolutely smoked them, including the Oilers, a year ago. But they brought in reinforcements. And that's the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, no Teddy Bluger last night. McKayev's not ready, so he didn't play. And Carson Susie. Like, I think this penalty kill gets better when you inject those three guys. It was a tough night for Sam Lafferty, and you can understand why. Like, all that he's been through, the trade, the travel, one practice, he's playing out of position. They've only got 11 forwards. But he did some good things, but he got crushed in the faceoff circle and... Uh, I think the shots were 5 nothing for the Oilers. Uh, you know, again, you're not expecting him to generate shorthanded shots on goal, but uh, shot attempts were 7-zip and shots on goal were 5 uh, nothing for the Oilers when Lafferty was out there. So, uh, again, I think matchups matter, and he saw more of McDavid there. But if Bluger gets back in, maybe Lafferty. Uh, I, I think he'll still be part of the penalty kill, but he won't be taking face-offs or won't be taking as many. And I think he will settle in, too. Like, I give the guy slack. Uh, for the 72 hours since getting traded and up, you know, the upheaval of moving your life, uh, all that kind of stuff. But I, I did think at times defensively he struggled, but I loved the play in the first period of him taking the puck wide on Kulak and driving to the net and drawing a penalty there and the assist on the Joshua goal. So I'm not here to throw dart. They won eight to one. I don't want it to sound like I'm throwing darts at Sam Lafferty. I, I just think I can understand why maybe he wasn't at the top, top of his game. But yeah, I thought Pia Suter. Uh, just quietly. I, you know, I think most nights it's going to be pretty quiet around him, but that's a good thing. I mean that in a best way possible. Uh, you know, he'll chip in with some offense, but I think for the most part, they brought him in for defensive acumen. And uh, I thought you saw last night that uh, certainly when they were a man short, uh, he was absolutely one of the guys that was pulling on the rope for the Vancouver Canucks. I'm curious to see how that line kind of develops as the season goes on, because I think that's Suter's line, and I think you're going to want to play the way that he's playing, specifically kind of building wingers around a center. Like, I could see Vasily Podkolzin building up to being that guy later on in the season, being a guy who's on Suter's wing, who you can trust defensively. Like, there are certain players that I guess could make a lot more sense there. If it's Dakota Joshua ends up playing up, if it's Bavillier trusted defensively, or Connor Garland, who knows his future with the Vancouver Canucks right now. I, I think that Suter's going to kind of be the the guy to kind of drive that third line. And yes, you're going to get a ton of offense from your top six and Suter's going to chip in, right? He's a 14-goal guy. We, we kind of expect that from him this season, I feel like. But... Just from watching last night's game, and you brought out the Abbotsford game as well. That was another good example of it. But to watch how that line's going to develop throughout the season go, going along here, I, I can see that line being something that, yeah, they don't produce a ton, but they're not going to give up a ton either. Like, I think if you can build a winger who makes a lot of sense and then kind of fit a third piece in there, but maybe find the winger that makes the most sense with Suter first and then kind of build your third line around that. Like, I'm curious to see how that line develops as the season goes on here. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, they were down a forward, and so that makes it difficult that it wasn't as simple as just rolling four lines. You can't do that, obviously, when you're you're down a man. And so, uh, you know, the underlying numbers at evens weren't great for Pia Suter last night. But, again, I, I think from what I have seen, just a small body of work, uh, you know, it, it is an upgrade at the third-line center position. Now, as you say, what's optimal for the Vancouver Canucks in terms of that position because we saw in the preseason, at one point, Hoaglander and Garland, two of the smaller wingers, Pia Suter's not a big guy. You know, it didn't surprise me that Dakota Joshua lines up on that line just to give it a little bit of size and some heft. And so, yeah, your suggestion of a guy like Pod Coles, and if he does what he has to do down in the minors, at some point, if he gets a look at the NHL level, you could see him plugging in there and sort of bringing some of that size that PDG is bringing to the Miller-Besser line right now uh, and going that way. But I, I do think, like, you know, as long as Connor Garland's here, uh, you know, to me, he's not slotted in my mind as a the perfect option for Pedersen. But certainly the finish there was uh, undeniable on the opening goal. Uh, and if he gets a few more passes like that, then uh, maybe he will be the right fit uh, <laughs> to play with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. But if Garland finds himself back on that line with Pia Suter, 
you know, I, I think you're looking at two guys that can generate some offense. And in years gone by, once you got through the top six of the Vancouver Canucks, it was all about treading water and hanging on and, you know, trying not to get scored on rather than spending shifts in the offensive zone and ultimately generating some things and, you know, softening defenses, drawing penalties and all those types of things. And I think that, you know, these are upgrades around the fringes for the Vancouver Canucks that you want to believe in the long haul uh, will help this club improve incrementally. So, yeah, the Stars, the night belonged to the Stars, but I did think that there was some really good things and some good signs from some of the guys a little lower in the lineup as well last night. Before I get to this stat, four power plays for the Oilers yesterday. They ended up scoring once, so decent amount of time on the power play for them. That means a decent amount of time on the penalty kill for the Vancouver Canucks. We did see Quinn Hughes get some time on the penalty kill. We didn't see Quinn Hughes as the top ice time defenseman. We didn't see him in the top two. He was number three behind Philip Hronik and Ian Cole. I know we just saw an eight to one game. I know we just saw four goals from Brock Besser. Is the most incredible stat out of this that Quinn Hughes was third on the team in ice time? No, because context matters. And I thought, uh, just like getting Thatcher Demko out if he was, in fact, puking behind his mask and wasn't feeling well, <laughs> like that's a great, you know. Don't tell him to gut it out, even just because it's opening night. Get him out of there. And so they didn't need Quinn Hughes. There are going to be nights, favor we all know, where they're going to need Quinn Hughes to play 30 minutes. Last night wasn't one of them. So if you can relax, that that's the beauty and the luxury of a 6-1, 7-1, ultimately an 8-1 lead, is you didn't have to lean on your captain. They've got this five-game road trip coming up here. It's a long season. Quinn Hughes is going to be required on some nights to carry this hockey club. Last night wasn't one of them. So I like that fact that scale is workload back early in the season because you could, and maybe as early as Saturday in Edmonton. They don't have the benefit of the last change. It's going to be really interesting to see if they continue to run out Hughes and Hironic, who were terrific last night. And a big part of, uh, we talked about the shutdown and the matchup with Miller. I mean, the forward line did a nice job, but those two defensively, uh, particularly Hironic. Like, I think Philip Hironic's had a really nice preseason and just continued more of that last night. Um, but I am curious to see now, you know, can you get away with that out on the road? You can't shelter Juleson and, and Hiroshi. Uh, you know, we'll see about healthy bodies uh, when they get back to practice here on Friday before flying out. So there are still some questions to be answered there. But but no, I just like the fact that uh, Relax uses ice time uh, whenever you can through the season, because there will be some nights where absolutely you have to lean on him. And, uh, you know, it, I just think this is hysterical, too, that on a night when Elias Pettersson has four points and Quinn Hughes has three, I mean, they combined for seven, and they're essentially an afterthought because there were other scoring heroes. There were other guys that were a little shinier last night. But uh, what a great start for both of those guys. Contract year for Pettersson, as we know. Uh, you know, you don't want him scuffling out of the gates and starting to wonder and having people wonder if a slow start is related to the contracts, you know, for him to have four points on opening night, incredible. And Quinn Hughes, uh, just doing what Quinn Hughes does, even in limited ice time, still chips in with three assists. So he's off and running as the new captain of the Vancouver Canucks all around. I mean, top to bottom, a really, really impressive team performance last night. Yeah, there was a lot to like offensively. Defensively, it was kind of interesting here. JT Miller, kind of, that's what he took a little bit of pride into yesterday. Like, yeah. it wasn't just about the four-point night. I think that almost caught him off guard a little bit, hearing that he had four points on the night. He was more happy about shutting down Connor McDavid at 5-on-5. Five five. And that line is going to get some difficult matchups. If that's just game one and you're getting the most difficult matchup in the NHL, you're facing up against Connor McDavid. Do you think we're going to see the PDG? What did you, did I see someone had a great tweet and a reply to you? What is that line? Is that the peanut butter and jelly line there? Well, apparently this has become a thing now in the last hour or so, and I'm not taking credit for it. Somebody on Twitter came at me and said, is this the PB&J line? And I thought about it and, you know, Phil, all right, we got Phil, we got Brock, we got, we got it's PB&J. <laughs> and then I thought, hey, is it crunchy or is it smooth? And you got Besser, he's smooth. You got JT, he can be crunchy. And of course, PBG, like I, Rick Tockett probably didn't sleep last night because he watched highlights of Besser's first goal and not so much the release by Brock that looked like rookie Brock Besser, but it was Phil Giuseppe doing exactly what he has to do to stay on that line and in that spot in the top six. And, um, you know, I mean, that's exactly what Rick Tox has been preaching since he arrived on the job here last January. Gets in on the forecheck, you know, steals the, the puck from Evan Bouchard, uh, who had a tough night, as a lot of the others did. But PDG just hounds the puck, makes the play, it's physical on the end wall, using his size and his speed, frees it up for Miller. Miller gets it to Besser. And, you know, 
Tockett's probably got that like highlight on a loop on his phone as he's uh, walking around town, uh, a want to know head coach here. But yeah, I mean, that line has a lot going for it. They were good through the preseason and somebody has decided that this is the PB and J line and who am I to argue? It's a pretty good one right off the bat. And I know this is a, a recent development here, as you mentioned, over the last hour. <laughs> so Breaking news on Canucks on <laughs> Some Some of the other news that we saw today was the Vancouver Canucks getting an emergency recall on Jack Studnika. Looks like they'll have 12 forwards in the game for Saturday. And I'm very curious to see how this Vancouver Canucks team looks coming in on Saturday. After what they just did in the home opener here, you're now heading back to Edmonton. Listen, they're going to have the big show. They're going to have all of the player introductions and all this fun stuff. They might not have a captain ceremony. I'm pretty sure they're all well aware that Connor McDavid has to see on his chest. But after an 8-1 loss, like watching the Oilers bounce back from this, that's what I'm curious to see because this is a team that we, we've heard them talk. Listen, they lost to the Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs. They were a team that was a you know, cup contender at the start of the season, heading into the playoffs, all the way up into that series with the Vegas Golden Knights last year. They're not going to go and just let this pass by lightly, right? Like, they're going to come back on Saturday and make things very difficult for the Vancouver Canucks. Something you've brought up multiple times here in our conversation is the last change for the Oilers. They're going to be able to get some opportunities against the Hirose and Juleson, and we know that that's where Connor McDavid feasts. When he's facing off against third pairings of other NHL teams, you don't really stand a chance, to just be honest with you. What do the Vancouver Canucks need to take away from this game? Because... I don't think they're going to score eight again on Saturday. Uh, they they can take away a lot of positives from what they brought in this game. What do you think they need a key on here? And they have a day off today, but tomorrow they're back on the ice, off to Edmonton for Saturday. What are something that they can key in on aside from maybe scoring eight goals on Saturday? So a couple of things. Just want to, I, I went and looked back. Like they scored eight against Anaheim last year. Kuzmenko had a half trick. PD had five points early in the season. Uh, that was Anaheim, and they were a disaster all of last year. This is the Edmonton Oilers with designs on you know a long, long playoff run. So it got me thinking, like, boy, they don't score eight very often. But I remember that they had nine against Boston just before COVID hit. Uh, Louis Erickson, uh, one of the final goals I think that he ever scored for the Vancouver Canucks, in fact. Um, so nine is the high watermark for offensive output by the Vancouver Canucks since the start of the millennium. Like, I'm old enough to remember when teams scored 12 and 13 and you know, the Canucks have scored 11 three times in their franchise history, but they haven't scored double digits since 1992. I uh, haven't got to double digits at Rogers Arena or GM places it uh, was first known. So, like, in today's NHL, you know, a 3-2 league generally, eight is a bushel full of goals. It doesn't happen very often, uh, but it did last night. You're right. So they're not likely to repeat all of that. I'm guessing if he could, but there are some logistical issues here. Jay Woodcroft would probably take that brand-new scoreboard from Rogers Arena and like plant it in the Oilers locker room as a reminder uh, so that there's nowhere to hide that, you know, eight on the Canucks side and just one for the Oilers. Edmonton's going to be better. And sure, it was shocking. It it was uh, on both sides. But keep in mind, they didn't have Matias Ekholm, who is a really good defender. And I I don't think he's going to play again on on Saturday. So the Canucks catching a bit of a break there. Uh, They didn't get Matias Ekholm last year for you know, games one, five, ten of a regular season. They got him for the playoffs last year, and they're going to want to make sure that he's fully healthy uh, and can have a long season. He's got a hip injury right now. So they were down a defenseman, but, you know, so were the Canucks. And uh, no excuses for the Oilers. Oilers will be okay. Like, I'm sure it's a setback and, you know, cut everybody off guard. But I do think that this doesn't derail the long-term plans for the Edmonton Oilers. It probably snaps them to attention. You know, do they get the revenge on Saturday night? Who knows? But I do think if you're Rick Tockett, all these things that you have preached, like you can't ask for better reinforcement. Like guys, if you do the things that we've been talking about and teaching at five on five and shorthanded, you know, you just prove to yourself that against one of the most potent offensive teams in the National Hockey League, that not only are you okay, but you can spend much of the night in their zone, make them defend, all those types of things. You know, a bunch of Oilers had tough nights. Like I didn't notice. Evander Kane, I was surprised the final stat sheet had him with five hits. And like I missed four of them. Uh, I just thought it was a really quiet night for him. We talked about Bouchard. It wasn't a great night. Darnell Nurse, obviously there's issues. Uh, it seems almost every night uh, defending for him. Um, you know, So I, I think that there will be Oilers that will be better. Hopefully for them, they get better goaltending. Um, I would imagine that Stuart Skinner gets the opportunity to start after uh, Campbell got the hook. Uh, last night. So, you know, the Canucks will see a different other team. They will. And as you said, it's opening night there. There's this energy. But man, if the Canucks can roll into the Alberta Capitol, come out with a second straight victory, like not only does that 
launched the Canucks on this road trip and puts last year's own seven start, you know, squarely in the rearview mirror. But all of a sudden, I would imagine there'll be some grumbling in Edmonton if the Oilers stumble out of the gate 0-2 to the Vancouver Canucks. So again, this isn't make it or break it, nothing like that. But I felt it was pretty important and maybe there was more pressure on the Canucks last night to get a result just because they didn't want to have to go into Edmonton uh, to start a road trip 0-1 and wondering when they were going to get their first win. All of a sudden now, I think that shifts completely to the Oilers. Like it's on them to respond, to be better on Saturday. And, you know, if you're the Canucks, I think you go in feeling pretty good about yourself, but it's the NHL. You could never feel too good about yourself because uh, things can happen in a hurry. Just ask the Edmonton Oilers uh, the way it all shook down last night. Uh, I'll let you go on this one here, Jeff. One player for the Vancouver Canucks was under 10 minutes of ice time last night. That's Connor Garland, who, you know, you spoke about it a little bit. The third period, you're going to start mixing up some lines here a little bit. I, I thought I didn't really know so much in the second period, uh, and we didn't really get any clarification if there was an injury or if Patrick Alvin was on the phone right after he scored that goal or what it was. Um, do you read anything into Connor Garland being the only guy under 10 minutes? No, because he left the bench in the third period. He had three shifts, and he left for a while, uh, I think, either just before or at the same time Demko did. And uh, there were people that were drawing speculation that if, hey, if Demko wasn't feeling well, uh, maybe the same thing was going for Garland. He came back to the bench, according to the broadcast, but didn't get a shift. So up eight to one, uh, he was back there on the bench, but I don't think he ever hit the ice again. So yeah, I mean, when I looked at the stat sheet, 952 of ice time, I thought, wow, a guy that opens the scoring and had this opportunity on the top line with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, and didn't really notice him other than the goal, but the goal was terrific. I mean, the incredible pass and nice hands in tight for, for Connor Garland, you know, and a lot of people were sort of joking before the game, like you watch Connor Garland's going to score the first goal just because he's the guy that's had all this chatter around him for the 48 hours preceding the season opener. Uh, you know, Hey, if he had really like leaned into this whole thing, I would, when they did the player introductions and they all skated out, like it would have been incredible if he had come out with like suitcases or if he'd come out like on his phone, like chatting to his new agent, uh, none of that happened. <laughs> he played it straight, uh, just did the player intro. But uh, no, I mean, I guess we'll find out. Uh, full team day off. And I wonder if that was always the plan, mm. if they were rewarded with a team day off because of the 8-1 win, or if whatever it is that's going through the system, uh, when I'm talking about this flu bug, like just keep guys away from each other as much as possible. They're going out on a road trip. They're going to be in close quarters on airplanes and all that kind of stuff. And we know that uh, this flu bug has moved through this team. And and so whatever the case, uh, a day off after an eight, one win, but they'll go back to practice on Friday and we'll be able to do roll, roll call. You talked about Jackson Nika. They should have a full complement of players. Uh, will Teddy Bluger be back on the ice? Carson Susie who, you know, last weekend we heard was week to week, and now it sounds like day to day. So that's promising for him. And Guillaume Brisebois is still in the mix somewhere, uh, but he hasn't been around practice for the better part of the week, got injured in that game late in the game out in Abbotsford last week. So, uh, you know, that's uh, the beauty of practice before they fly off to Edmonton is uh, we'll be able to see, see what Rick Talk is thinking in terms of uh, line combos and deployments and all those types of things. But uh, my sense with Garland was, yeah, just a little under the weather, and uh, was just taking it easy in the third period. Again, the Canucks had the luxury of doing that with the big, big lead. Yeah, we didn't follow up with talking about him puking or anything. I know that uh, we did get the information about Demko about that. But, uh, Jeff, one thing before we wrap up here as well. Uh, I got to sneak this in because I don't know if Canucks Sports and Entertainment has listened to this show in the past, but the amount of sprinkles that I saw on donuts yesterday when they brought out that wall of donuts for the press – what were you thinking? What was going through your mind there, Jeff? Was that enough sprinkles Absolute for you? Absolute mind blown. Like, didn't see that coming from miles away. You know, I, I love opening night. I love the pomp and circumstance of any, like, opening day, opening night in any sport. Like, I just, I'm all in for those pregame ceremonies. And I thought the Canucks, again, did a really nice one with the, the captains. And great to see Trevor uh, sort of putting the past behind and, and coming out to be a part of, he knows, his role in, in the history of the Vancouver Canucks and Stan getting his moment and Orland Curtin back too, still at his advanced age to be able to be out there. And, uh, you know, so it was great. And Henrik, I don't want to forget about Henrik, but I, I like the ceremony. Uh, you know, and, and eight goals was incredible, but yeah, wasn't expecting a wall of donuts, essentially. Uh, I mean, how else to describe that thing? Like that was a wall of Canucks colored donuts. Uh, it was sensory overload for a guy that does love his sprinkles. So yes, from the disappointment of day two of training camp, to that last night, like we are talking the opposite ends 
of the donut spectrum. And I was absolutely in my glory and there for it last night. Oh, they're fluffing you up, Jeff. They want all that positivity from you as the season goes on. They gave you an 8-1 victory, so I don't think there's anything you can pull negative out of that. Uh, and not a lot no, to pull out of here. No, would have been better was a complete shutout, and then it could have been eight <laughs> donut, right, for uh, the Canucks? Uh, Jeff, you're the best. Absolutely appreciate you joining us here. Uh, and uh, we're going to move on to Jeremy Carlton now to chat a little bit about the AHL Canucks. So, Jeff, thank you very much. And uh, post games, every game uh, for you over at Rinkwide. You guys did one last night. That's going to go for all 82, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're off and running. And uh, producer Aaron, hang in there. It's a long season. <laughs> Oilers will be okay. There he is, Jeff Patterson from Rinkwide, joining us here on the show after an 8 1 victory for the Vancouver Canucks. Four goals from Brock Besser. Hell of an opening game for the regular season for the Vancouver Canucks. And as you know, if you're a longtime listener of this show, that's not the only Canucks team that we cover. We cover the Abbotsford Canucks, I think, better than anybody out there. And joining us now from the Abbotsford Canucks, off in Quebec, over to Laval here, Jeremy Calton, head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. Jeremy, how are you doing? You guys all set for Friday night against Laval to open up the AHL season for you guys. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, we're, we're doing great. We're excited to get going. It's always uh, it's a long wait from the time we get to to camp and you know it's penticton and then training camp and then you know a few days of our camp so everyone's ready to go and excited to uh play for real a couple of years for you now at uh, penticton young stars as the head coach what do you take away from there that's maybe a little bit different than coaching at a pro level well i mean you're getting it's uh their first taste of pro hockey for a lot of those guys so it's fun to see how they react and uh I think you, you see growth even in three or four days. Um, just the the adjustment. It's a shock, I think, that first game. You basically get one day of practice and then you play a game. And I think all the teams improve uh, as the tournament goes on. And that's fun to be a part of that process. And uh, I think personally, you know, typically we have a few of our guys there that will play for us. So it's kind of a it's a free, free look and a, a head start on, on trying to get guys up to speed and hopefully ready for, for our season here in the American League. Can you take us in the locker room a little bit? I'm just curious, like guys that were drafted like two months, three months before this, what's it like watching them like put on a Canucks jersey for the first time and take the ice as a Vancouver Canuck? Yeah, it's uh, like you said, you are playing with the, the NHL logo, you know, on your chest. That's it's always special. So um, it's fun. And I think the environment in Penticton, you know, it's pretty good crowds there, especially for us. And uh, th- that always adds just a little bit. Can you believe that's a junior facility out there in Penticton, what they got going on in that place? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Well, you're coming into year two now as the uh, as the head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. It's uh, your second year behind the bench with Abbotsford. Uh, how different is it coming into year two now? I mean, I'm sure you were learning a lot of faces just last year coming into this, but now getting the opportunity to be a little bit more settled, how much more comfortable do you feel back there? Yeah, it's familiar. Just uh, having been through a full season with the, the organization and all the people, and I got you know some players coming back that I coached for for a full year which is great i think just speeds up our process to to get where we want the team to be um and it's uh i don't just i personally i like to feel comfortable i think i can be myself uh the more familiar i am with with the people i'm working with and um that's that's where i'm at now it's pretty fun 
and you get an opportunity in the offseason, I guess, probably have a lot of conversations with Rick Tockett, be able to work with the organization a little bit. I know he's brought you up quite a bit, uh, even at the start of training camp, talking about, you know, learning about a player like Archie Baines from you and, and Baines getting that opportunity at the start of training camp with NHLers. What's it been like uh, building the relationship with Rick? Did you know him much before this kind of just when he came in as a Vancouver Canucks head coach? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, can't say enough of, of how well they've treated me and, and our staff and just being included in a lot of things. Um, I didn't know talk like I coached against them, obviously. And so you run into each other uh, at times at different NHL things. So had, you know, a little bit of um, familiarity there, but, you know, not much. And so it's been, been pretty fun to just be around him and, and talk hockey and the whole staff. I mean, it's a great group up there. Um, and that's, it's a really positive thing for the Canucks to have people of that quality. Um, obviously, they're they're really good coaches. Everyone knows what they were as players too, which is it's a neat neat thing. I was trying to kind of prepare for this interview a little bit and be like, I'm going to ask you what like the strength of your team was. I was going to say, is it, is it Archer Seelaws coming back? Is it your defense core? You got the the returning AHL defenseman of the year with Christian Milanen, a lot of offensive talent, a lot of defensive talent. Is it the forward group? You guys got a lot of young scorers. Um, I guess just like an overall look at your team, like how good do you feel about the strength of the Abbotsford Canucks this season compared to maybe some years in past or just yourself getting a full reset going into a year? Like I said, I, I couldn't really pick out one thing that was a strength for the team going into the season. Yeah, I we feel solid at all three, you know, all three areas. Competition, um, uh, we have guys who know the league and know what it takes. We also have some rookies coming in who, uh, you know, it may take a little bit of time to adjust to the league, but the raw ability is there and that gets you excited about what they may turn into. Um, you know, I could say that about our second and third year guys too. Like there, there's some players who are still early in their progression and their development. Um, so I think I've said this to you before, you look at where they're at now, we're trying to push them to a new level as the year goes on. And I think that'll be really good for our group. Um, but I personally, I love having the competition. I think it's just so much easier to push guys to play a certain way. It speeds up the process. Uh, hopefully we, we look the way we want to look out there quicker because we have so much competition for ice time for roles and uh, you know, whether it's maybe trying to be the first call up or, just climbing the depth chart, uh, that's a good situation to be in. One of the guys who is coming into his first full season uh, as a pro is Aiden McDonough, who showed extremely well at the Penticton Young Stars. Uh, how much are we going to see of him on the power play this season? Because it feels like that's a spot where in the NCAA, that was just where he he made his money, it feels like, at that spot. But uh, a player that was able to kind of round out his five-on-five game in the final years of his NCAA career, now making that jump to pro, we know that's a very tough jump to make. And the NCAA kind of... Makes it a little bit softer, I guess, than guys coming out of junior. So he's a little bit of an older player coming in as a rookie, I guess, into the AHL. But what do you expect? What are your expectations for Aiden this season? Uh, and how much are we going to see him on the power play this year? Yeah, like you said, he's he's got more maturity and experience than a lot of AHL rookies, just because of his path. Um, and you can see that in his play. Um, so that should help him make the transition. Um, like you said, he showed in Penticton his power play ability. Uh, that really jumped out. So he, he is going to start on the power play. Um, we got a lot of guys who can play power play, so it's going to be interesting um, how that all plays out. Again, it's a good situation. Guys are going to be, you got to deliver. You got to, um, it's got to add up to, to doing the right things for us. And again, with that competition, I think it's going to make guys better. So he's, he's going to get an opportunity there. I, I think five on five, from what I've seen, I've been impressed. Again, the level's going to go up here. So, you know, he'll be challenged as will other guys. And, and it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. And, you know, we're starting in Laval. It's, uh, it's going to be full building. It'll be a great atmosphere. The pace is going to be high. It's going to be an adjustment. For some guys, I wouldn't be surprised if some of our our rookies are in for a bit of a shock in the first period. But that's all part of it, and uh, we're doing our best to prepare them. 
wanted to ask about Archer Silovs, who a lot of people were wondering, is he going to be in the battle for the NHL backup spot of this season? You get him back now in the AHL. What's the workload expectation for a guy like Silovs, who's still not, you know, he doesn't have over 100 games of pro hockey yet at this point. He's still pretty young in his career. Is he at that point right now where he's going to take a pretty big step compared to what we saw last year? Yeah, I think it's kind of a natural progression for him to try to carry more of the load here. Um, I thought last year, obviously, he he got better as the year went on. Um, he was a bit up and down in, in the first half, but I thought from Christmas on, obviously, you know, uh, Dealey went up and he kind of got the ball, and to his credit, he really seized the opportunity. And uh, that was a great thing to see. I, I think it's really good for him to be in this position he is now where – out of the gates, he, he's got to be the guy. And uh, obviously, we got we got confidence in Nikita. He's a, he's a big body and uh, a lot of raw material material there. But I think it's nice for him to have a guy like you know Seedloss in front of him to a show him the way, but also you know he can take the load early on, and when we can ease him into it, which would be good. I remember reading a report last year about Atu Ratu making the adjustment coming over here and, and it being a little bit difficult for him getting into Abbotsford and kind of finding his footing with a full off season and now kind of being a little bit more comfortable with the Abbotsford Canucks. From what we saw in preseason, uh, Ratu looks like he's improved his game quite a bit, uh, whether it's gaining a step or just his play with the puck. Uh, what have you seen this year compared to what you saw at the end of last year when Atu Ratu joined the team? Yeah, I think you, you really notice, uh, first of all, I think his fitness is better. Uh, came into camp and looked to me noticeably um, quicker and just more able to to handle the pace, uh, which is really important. And I think like expectations can be, you know, a problem sometimes for for a young player. Um, you want to prove, you know, that someone who traded for you did the right thing and probably put some pressure on himself that when he didn't produce a ton right out of the gates, it didn't help. I think it's important for him to, it's not about the production. Like we know he can make plays and shoot the puck, but it's more his overall game. Is he playing a game that'll transfer to being an NHL player on a winning team? And that's really what we ask of everyone. Like I, at the end of the game, a lot of times, like, you know, we do our scrums, like, I'm not 100% sure who had how many points or who scored the goals. Um, the goals are an end result. You know, sometimes they go in, sometimes they don't. I'm more worried about how they played and is how they're playing going to lead to winning over time. And, you know, for him, that's what I want his focus to be. And I believe that's where it is. And with a full year starting from from the beginning here with us, he's in a good situation, I think. And it feels like the next name I'm going to bring up is a guy that we've talked about a couple of years about the process kind of leading to those goals. And that's Danila Klimovic. You know, I, I can't let you come in here for an interview and not ask you. I've told you this in the past. Um, so with Klimovic now, he's 20 years old coming into the season, no longer a teenager coming into an AHL year. What are the expectations for him now? Because when we talked about this, when he was 18 years old, it was a lot of just adjusting. And then last year was a lot of improving defensively. What are the expectations now in year three for Klimovic in the AHL? Well, I think they're similar, Um, you know, be a guy that we know we can put on the ice when the game's on the line and uh, that he's going to get the job done for the team. And obviously, like, we know we can shoot the puck and he finishes chances when he gets them. Um, It's it's doing little things away from the puck, um, managing the puck when he has it on his stick, like getting us from if he wins the puck in D zone or he gets a pass on the breakout, like get through the neutral zone get that puck all the way in, maybe create a chance, but worst case, drive it deep or, or chip it in, get a forecheck going. You know, that's what players do who can contribute to winning. You know, like you got to be, you got to show that you can be on the ice in those important moments, last few minutes of a period or, or last 10 minutes of a game. And if he takes those steps, uh, again, I'm not worried about his production. He will score. Um you know, I try to get him out there at, at the right time so we can take advantage of of that finishing ability. Uh, I think if he's going to be an NHL player, he's got to kind of force himself into those spots too, which, uh, you know, we'll, we're going to keep working with him and, and challenge him to do that. And uh, But he's got a great kid, great attitude, and he'll keep getting better. 
And you got Vasily Podkolzin down there, Jeremy, uh, a guy who's played in the NHL quite a bit, had success in his rookie season, a little bit of a step back last year. And something that Rick Tockett brought up was, you know, he doesn't want him in the NHL playing 10, nine minutes a night. He wants him down in the AHL actually working on developing. What should we expect here from Vasily Podkolzin? Is he going to be a top-line penalty kill power play? Is he going to be in all these situations? Or how are you going to use Vasily Podkolzin this season? Well, I think he should be a top player for us and a top player in the league. Um, but again, it's the expectations can be a problem, you know, as far as production or, you know, how, how quickly can he get back to the NHL? Like, it's not about that. Like that's not a lot of things. A lot of times those things are out of his control. He's just got to be a player we can count on, be a player who makes a difference, who, who helps us win hockey games. And um, I thought, you know, when he was down with us last year, he definitely made some strides in those areas. And and we want to keep building this game so that, you know, the next time he goes to the NHL, he never comes back. So, you know, we're going to push him. We're going to challenge him. I believe he can produce. I, I believe he can be, a, you know, a dominant two-way player at our level here. Um, that's that's where we got to get him to. And I think, I think he can, but sometimes I think the expectations based on where he was drafted or, you know, he started in the NHL, like that can work against the player mentally sometimes, or, or again, outside expectations, like we got to to the side. It doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is him doing, doing what he can to help us win. And if he does that, then the opportunity will come later on up top. When he's getting these opportunities in the AHL, how much easier is it for him to just not think so much, right? Like, just go out there and play. Like, when he gets these opportunities and has that confidence from the coaching staff, do you guys look at that as a challenge to just be like, hey, like, what we're trying to do here is let you play your game. You have the skills. We want to see you stop thinking is kind of the thing that we've heard from Rick talking in the preseason. Yeah, and that's something we talked about last year. Like, obviously, it's part of our job is to make it as clear as possible, like, what what we want, what are we trying to do uh, as a team, uh, how individually you know we fit into that so that we can just play fast, play an instinct, play aggressive, play reckless. Um, I love his game when he's skating and when he's playing in straight lines and, and going north with a puck, driving the puck to the net, uh, driving pucks deep, protecting it. He's hard to handle, and I think he can do it at the next level too. You know, when he's pressuring the puck, uh, getting in on the forecheck, being physical. So, again, those are, you notice, I didn't talk about scoring. You know, I didn't talk about production. That will come if he does the process things that that we're going to focus on. I've seen you put him out for some face-offs on the penalty kill. Is there any thought of playing Pod Colson at center at some point this season? Um. I mean, it could happen. He's not going to start there. I think the, like we got a lot of centers. Like that's one thing. Like we, that's good. I, it's uh, you know, any coach would tell you they'd love to have twelve guys who can play center because you can. It's a better flow uh, to the game when you have different guys who can be first player back and play low in defenses on coverage. Now you're the guy who maybe is written at center on the lineup card. He has more juice to forecheck or to win a 50-50 battle to get a puck or whatever it may be. So um, that's a benefit to have a lot of guys who can play center. We have a lot. So um, you don't have to take the face off or, or be put at center when I put the names, when when the, when we release the names on Twitter mm-hmm. to, uh, to play center. You can still play center when your first guy back. And, you know, like that's a lot, in a lot of ways how, how we want to play. So um, he can give that to us, but, you know, I guess time will never. Uh, one of those guys that can play center, Tristan Nielsen, ends up earning an NHL contract uh, this offseason. Just talk me through the season that he had and, and how happy. I just, your thoughts, I guess, when you saw that he earned himself an NHL contract. Yeah, he was a big part of our, our group last year. And um, we maybe didn't have as much depth. And we asked him to do different things. As you said, he played center for, for a stretch. Uh, when we lost some guys to injury, he plays both wings. Uh, played in multiple different spots on the power play. But I thought as the year went on, like we talked about guys being out there when the game's on the line, he became 
that guy, he earned, he earned the right to be on the ice when the game was on the line, whether we were up or down. And I think he's got to continue that, that process uh, to ultimately hopefully make, make himself an NHL option. So, you know, the contract was a reward. He deserved it, but now he's got to keep going. He's got to keep getting better, try to be, you know, a top player for us, try to be a top player in the league. And uh, again, we have a competition. I said this to the group a couple of days ago, like, we not everyone is going to get the exact role that they want. You're going to get what you deserve. You're going to get what you earn. Uh, but you know, that competition is going to hopefully make us a pretty strong team. Well, Jeremy, always great to have you on the show here. You guys get started with Laval four o'clock Pacific time. And I did see someone in the comments here. Yes. All the AHL games are free on AHL TV this weekend. So you can watch this on Friday night. Um, you guys play at four o'clock, as I said, Pacific time, I guess my final question here is, what is this Abbotsford team going to show fans on Friday night? Well, we're gonna we're gonna skate, we're gonna compete. Um, I think we're we got depth, so the idea is to play at a, a pay, play at a pace uh, that we really challenge the other team to handle over sixty minutes. I think uh, that was one part of our identity last year when we were good. That's what we did. We just kept coming in waves, whether it was our forecheck or our backcheck or our transition. Um, we want to, I think we can be even, even more, um, uh, strong in those areas this year. And you know what, I don't know how the first game is going to go. Um, but we're going to build as the year goes on. And, uh, I think it's going to be a fun group to coach. With the amount of games you guys play in the Pacific division, it's kind of weird starting out East, uh, in the AHL season here. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, we, we only play like, 12 teams all year so maybe it's 11 teams all year <laughs> and so you know this this little stretch here it's the only time we we cross uh over to the east so it's uh but it's a good time weather-wise to do it so uh we'll, we'll take it <laughs> absolutely well jeremy appreciate your time as always and i'm sure we'll do this again down the road uh like i said you guys get going on friday best of luck four o'clock we'll be watching thank you appreciate it there he is, Jeremy Carlton, head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. Some fun stuff there. And as we mentioned, yeah, we saw it in the chat. Thank you to Amish Space Force for mentioning. Uh, every AHL game is free from October 13th to 15th on AHL TV. Yeah, just make yourself an account, uh, and you can follow along tomorrow. It's a great broadcast down the AHL. They've made quite a few improvements over the past three years. It's no longer uh, filmed on a toaster anymore. They do have some HD. It's a little bit more fun to watch right now. Uh, so we thank Jeremy Carlton for joining us there, getting us all set for the Abbotsford Canucks season next year, and definitely a lot of takeaways there uh, from Jeremy. I know that, uh, you know, hearing from Danilo Klimovich, the steps that they want to take from him, coming now as a 20-year-old, very different spot for him, and coming in as an 18-year-old, having to learn just the language, the league, these type of things. Now, you know, last season at 19, really made improvements on his defensive game and led the Abbotsford Canucks in plus-minus last year. Uh, so I'm curious to see what goes on this season with Daniil Klimovich as he kind of gets into a new role and will we see him get some power play time. Also found it a little bit interesting uh, from Jeremy Carlton there talking about Vasily Podkolzin, you know, maybe, maybe seeing a little bit of time at center. I know a lot of Canucks fans would like to see that and they can kind of see Podkolzin developing and his skills kind of fitting as a center. Uh, so that's a story that will follow along as the season goes on. Lots of Abbotsford talk here on Thursdays when we go through the show as the season goes on here. We're going to kind of get you set for the weekend with what's going on in Abbotsford, whether it's Jeremy joining us. We might have Ryan Johnson, the general manager, or some players as well as the year goes along. I see Quads is here in the chat. I don't know if he's uh, if he's got video going on. Yep, here we go. All right. All right. Well, this is getting taken off of Spotify now because of the intro here. Quads, you're at the airport. What's going on, man? Not much. I'm waiting to board. I don't know if you can hear me. I'm trying not to talk too loud and disrupt people. There's people sleeping and whatnot. So just trying to be quiet. But uh, about to board the plane, head over to Edmonton, the homeland. Yep. Uh, there you go, Nation Network. You're heading over to Edmonton. The folks over there, they must be really excited to see you after an 8 1 ass kicking last night. Well, absolutely. I'm going to be bringing a lot of energy to the office that I feel like is taken out of it right now. Uh, shout out to Aaron because Aaron stocked the upstairs suite that I'm staying in. He stocked it with groceries that I need. And I don't know if Aaron's already shared what my grocery list is, but uh, a <laughs> lot, of, lot of milk, a lot of cereal. And uh, I got one of these frozen Crave dinners, which I don't eat. Like, I've never had one before. Even when I was single and like had to make all my own meals, um, I never resorted to that, but I'm going to try it. You're going to try it in Edmonton. 
Uh, our pal Tyler Remchuk apparently eats five of them a week. Um, so I, I'm excited to try it out. Okay, and I know you're going to get on some Arby's as well. I, I told you today I had the Wagyu Bacon Ranch Burger. It was the best burger I've ever had from Arby's. You're going to get together with Bag Milk. You guys are going to have some Arby's, right? Well, that's always the plan. Every time I go to Edmonton, um, I make sure that I uh, wait. I got to listen to this announcement, but I always make sure I go to Arby. <laughs> there we go. Well, Quads, we're going to let you go because I got some Betway and some prospects, and those are two things you hate doing anyway. So we'll let you go. Safe travels. Uh, everybody in the chat saying hey to you, um, and they say yeah. Put the house on the Canuck winning the cup after last night. What an electric performance that was. <laughs> All right, yeah. And uh, Corey says, enjoy the Arby's. That's fine dining in Edmonton over there. So uh, we That's won't right. get Aaron's perspective on that. Quads, thanks for jumping on, buddy. Let's get to our uh, let's get to our Betway bet of the day. What do we got here, Aaron? We got our Betway bet of the day. I believe we're talking about the Nashville Predators facing off against the Seattle Kraken. We're going back to our old school ones from last season. You know I like to kind of tie these ones in for the plus 700 big old bet here. The Nashville Predators to win over 6.5 total goals in the game and Philip Forsberg to score a goal in this game. So you're looking for a Preds win over 6.5 total goals in the game and a Philip Forsberg goal plus $700. Plus 700. A $10 bet's going to return you $80 over on Betway, Betway, Betway. Great folks over there. And I think we might end up doing... I'll check into it because I know Betway does have some AHL stuff, so I think we'll do an AHL bet tomorrow on the show as we talk about the Abbotsford Canucks and we're joined by Jeremy Calton. Folks, watch the game on Friday. Go make an AHL account. I'm not sponsored by them or anything. Uh, I still pay the money to have the the damn thing. So uh, head over to AHL TV and uh, make a little account. Watch the free weekend uh, and then just, yeah, don't worry about subscription or anything if you don't want to watch games. We'll have you covered with all the highlights. Uh, myself and Cody Sievertson covering you, covering you with all the AHL stuff as the season goes on as well as Dave Dave Hall doing a great job, and he's going to jump on with some prospects coverage for the guys in the AHL. Speaking of prospects, do we have the video here, Aaron? I believe we got it in here. Jonathan LeCare Mackey, folks. And I saw someone reply to one of the tweets today and said, this might be the best 24 hours in Canucks history. So the Vancouver Canucks come off of an 8-1 win, and then Jonathan LeCare Mackey absolutely rips a wrist shot today to tie up the game for Orobro in their game. They ended up winning 3-2 in overtime. LeCare Mackey picks up his fifth goal in nine games. He was not done there. He ended up picking up an assist on the game-tying goal when uh, Timra went up 2-1. LeCare Mackey picked up an assist with his net empty and the team trailing in the last minute of the game. So a two-point night for Jonathan LeCare Mackey over in the SHL. His first assist of the season, his, his fifth goal of the season, and just in nine games. So he is absolutely ripping up the SHL right now. Staying hot. He's basically like a prospect that you have to watch every single time that he plays live now for the Vancouver Canucks. It's been excellent for us uh, at Canucks Army. Dave Hall's done a great job, as I mentioned, covering the prospects. And LeCarrie Mackey, it's not just the goals. Like, just watching him today, blocking shots, being strong on the boards, there are some major improvements to LeCarrie Mackey's game from what we've seen last season. It's night and day. It feels like you're watching a different prospect really right now uh, from what we saw last season when he was in the Al Svenskin and just not playing great hockey. I mean, obviously, you can kind of look at it now and say, okay, I think the mono did affect this guy. I think the concussion did affect this guy. I think that the foot injury did affect this guy. It all made sense at the time, but maybe you're trying to kind of brush that to the side a little bit. Now that you're seeing him fully healthy, a full off season, just resetting in the SHL, like, he looks like a much better player. There's a reason this guy was picked 15th overall. And if he continues his hot streak, he is going to be an absolute monster at the World Juniors in December this year for Sweden in his home country as the World Juniors are off in Sweden this year. So, we'll wrap things up there. Shout out to uh, Betway. Please, uh, must be 19 plus to play. Bet the responsible way over there on Betway, 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 I don't think we have anything else uh, to wrap up with. Aaron, I know you're going to have the pregame show again on Saturday there. Uh, We're going to be back tomorrow. Quads is actually going to be live from the Oilers Nation HQ as he joins the show tomorrow. No guest. We're going to spend an hour just chit-chatting all the way through. Uh, Aaron, what's the most, with Quads coming to Edmonton, what are you most excited about with Quads in town? Um, well, I also bought myself one of the Crave microwavable dinners. <laughs> so I think I'm going to dip into that tonight, to be completely honest with you. But I am excited. I've I've never done a show with you guys in person before. Faber, I've never even met you in person before. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have met quads before, but I'm excited. And he's going to be on Oilers Nation every day tomorrow at 12 Mountain, 11 Pacific. Look at that. I'm learning these time differences now <laughs> going from east to the west uh, to Pacific all the way over there. 
But uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. I think Quads is going to the game on Saturday, correct? Yes, you got that right. I'm sure that all the Oilers fans uh, in your guys' Oilers Nation YouTube chat are going to just love to hear this Vancouver Canucks guy come on in here and chat about the Canucks, especially after that. But I have to feel like the Oilers can't think that that's going to be like a regular occurrence, right? Like they have to think that's just a one-off. I, I don't think – I have a feeling that you Oilers guys are just like that – Hey, that happened. That's not going to happen again, though, I think. So Saturday's going to be a lot uh, a lot closer of a game. I hope that it's not an 8-1 shellacking the other way because there might be like a little bit of a Greta curse going on. We'll have to see what happens here Ooh, uh, yeah, with you call. guys. So uh, Saturday, we're going to be all set up at Greta, uh, and we'll wrap up on that, I guess, here. With Greta on Saturday, tickets are available. You can find the link everywhere on Canucks Army, uh, whether it's the Instagram, Twitter accounts. You can even find it in the link of this YouTube channel here. The great folks at Greta, the arcade. What was uh, – did you play any? arcade games yesterday Aaron of course I did I do every time they're throwing <laughs> the game cards all around man Greta does such a good job we did all our playoff parties there last year it is a vibe in there and I did dust a couple gentlemen in ski ball last night oh. so I won something <laughs> I won something last night there you go well that's good to hear all right so we'll wrap things up thank you very much to our guest Jeff Patterson of Rinkwide and also the head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks Jeremy Colton I said it a little bit earlier in the show we are looking like Thursdays are going to be an Abbotsford day we sort of have like a regular guest list lined up but it's not really for sure in cement just yet uh, but Thursdays are going to start to be Abbotsford days as we move towards the season and continue on into the season for the HL starts on Friday get yourself an AHL TV package uh, if you want to watch the Abbotsford Canucks all season long or as I mentioned it's free if you just want to watch it this weekend. So, uh, for our producer, Aaron Bordado, who does a great job, and he's about to do an even better job with these wild clips that he's going to put together because he's got a lot of content to work with today. Um, for Aaron, for Jeff, for Jeremy, for myself, Chris Faber, this has been another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Quads and Faber. New episodes every weekday, 1.30 across the board, except for Wednesdays. One o'clock. We'll see you there live on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. For more information, visit CanucksArmy.com. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim?